0: Well, good morning. If you'll join me, we'll go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. So, Father God, we just come before you. And again, we're just so grateful to be able to gather together, God, to be able to just hear that reminder that you are our firm foundation. And so, God, I just pray that as we open up your word this morning, God, may it just be your word that is spoken And may it fall on our hearts that are just encouraged and also edified and God just strengthened through all of this. So we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it was June 18th of last year that Heather and my life just kind of got shaken a little bit as we got a phone call from an old family friend of mine. They were my neighbors when I was born and they said that their niece was having another baby and that she may be putting it up for adoption. And so she asked Heather and I, if she does that, will you guys adopt the baby? And it's like, yep, no doubt. We will take that baby. We'll take her other kids even if she wants to. I mean, that kind of sounds harsh to say. But it's just like, you know what, we will, we will take the children. And, and so we didn't know though, so we had to go talk to the mom. And so July 3rd, we went and talked to the mom. And she's like, I, I just don't really know what I'm going to do. And it's like, that's okay, we'll take the baby if you need to put it up for adoption. If not, we will support you and be there to encourage you along the way. And then my mom's birthday, August 8th, we're headed home and we get a phone call. And it's like, hey, she's gonna let you guys have the baby. And it's like rejoicing and kind of weeping at the same time because we're thrilled, but at the same time, our heart just breaks for this mom that we know. And then we had six weeks To get everything ready for a baby because he was coming september 22nd but in that six week time every time our phone rang it was kind of like oh no is that somebody calling to say actually she's she's not gonna let you take home the baby that she wants to keep it and then we were able to be there for his birth in a room over and again it's like oh man when she holds him is she gonna actually follow through with this. And the mom, she was amazing through it all. She loved Isaiah so much that she wanted to let us give him a home that was the best for him. And we love that kid so much. He's homesick today, but I mean, he is just such a joy to us. But then it wasn't for another couple of months, November 28th, of last year that finally we had that adoption day and I remember we walk in and Heather didn't sleep very well the night before we walk in we sit down and I look over and I see this uh, lawyer who I know and so I'm like man work a deal for us but he represents the unknown father and it's like they had to put ads in the paper and so we're sitting there and it's like did somebody come forward Like, this is still not a done deal, and so we just kept waiting and waiting, and then I remember the judge asking him, being like, did anybody come forward? And he's like, no, we believe that they should get the child, and our hearts just leapt for joy. But if I can explain that period of time in one word, it would be waiting. If I could explain it in two, it'd be uncertainty, waiting and uncertainty. Because we didn't know, it was like, man, we see this on the horizon, we're, we're excited about it, we, we want it to happen, but at the same time, there are so many unknown things that could happen between here and there. And maybe you're in that kind of time of life as well where you are waiting for something. Maybe it's not the adoption of a child, but maybe it's for something that your heart is just set on, and you're like, God, it feels like we are waiting, and you said that you'll be faithful. We sang about it, or we heard Kurt sing about it. We're holding on to you, but how long do we have to wait? Because we've waited, and we are still waiting. And honestly, it doesn't look like there's an end in sight. So how do we hold on to God in those times of uncertainty? And how many of you love being tested with patience? Nobody. How many of you have prayed for patience? Because you know that when you pray for patience, the tests are going to come. And so it's like we don't want to be patient. We live in an era of instant gratification, instant messaging, instant. You can DoorDash and have your groceries brought to your house right away. You don't have to drive and have it done. So many things are handed to us immediately that when we're called to wait, it is hard to do. And yet so many times God says, you just got to wait. And he doesn't say this is what the result's going to be. Instead, he says, you can trust me through it all. And so we're going to keep going through these Old Testament passages. We have five to go. And so we're, we're nearing the end, but we're going to be in the book of Ezra today. And what we see here as we look at the book of Ezra is we see the post waiting. Where Israel and Judah have both gone into exile and now in Ezra, they are receiving the reward. They are seeing the fulfillment of God's promise. Because we've talked about Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. We've talked about all these prophets that are telling Judah in Israel, judgment is coming upon you. That you are going to be handed over to the Babylonians and you are going to go into exile because of your sins. And then he also says, but there will be a remnant of you, the faithful ones, you will come out of it. And he says, you actually will come back to this land and you will be able to worship me here. And so we are going to see in Ezra the fulfillment of God's promise to his people. So if you take notes, we'll get through the outline real quick. Ezra spans actually a long period. It starts in 538 B.C. And then the the account of Ezra ends around 456 B.C. And there's a breakdown of dates of the chapters in there. He gives us specific times that are happening there. And again, the Bible coincides with secular history. I used to think that you had secular history, and then you had the Bible somewhere else, and it was like Bible times, and then secular history took over. But instead, they're running side by side. For example, the events of Ezra take place during the times of Buddha, who was in India, of Confucius, who was in China, as well as Socrates in Greece. So the accounts of Ezra are happening as you have these philosophers and you have the Buddhist religion kind of starting under Buddha. Ezra is a continuation of 2 Chronicles. It picks up right where 2 Chronicles leaves off and then it continues through Nehemiah so much that some places they have them being one book. And then lastly, we have there the events that take place. We are now in a new empire. Babylon has fallen. You now have the Medes and the Persians or the Medo-Persian Empire. And so that's the context that we look at. Babylon has been defeated. This is what happens in Daniel chapter 5 with the writing on the wall of Belshazzar. And it is that uh, the Medo-Persian Empire is coming in to take over the Babylonian Empire as the world power. First king that comes in, King Cyrus. And he comes in and he makes a decree for the Jews to be able to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Isaiah prophesied About this. In Isaiah 44, God says, About Cyrus, my shepherd, he shall fulfill my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, She shall be built, and the temple, your foundation, shall be laid. You know when God spoke that through Isaiah? 200 years earlier. 200 years earlier, God is just kind of showing off, kind of like, hey, I know all history. There's going to come 200 years from here, this guy named Cyrus, and he is going to send the Jews back to rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. I can't even predict what's going to happen tomorrow. God's looking 200 years in the future and saying, I'm going to give you the name by which it will happen under. And then also Jeremiah fulfills it because God said it will be 70 years in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and I will bring you back to this place. And so that's what's happening under Ezra. In the account of Ezra, as you read through it, you are seeing this return of the Jews going back to Jerusalem that God prophesied about 200 years earlier. And now they are fulfilling that prophecy as they are going back to Jerusalem to build the new temple. And then just a a quick breakdown of it is the first half of Ezra is the restoration of the temple where they are actually rebuilding the temple. And then in Ezra chapter six, the temple is rebuilt and all the people weep and rejoice. Those who saw the first temple 70 years earlier, they weep. And those who did not see it rejoice because they see that they're able to be back in relation with God, because that's what the temple meant. Covenant relationship with God. And then the second half Ezra himself actually comes to Jerusalem, and he reforms the hearts of the people. So the restoration of the temple, and then the second half is the spiritual revival as they confess their sins, and they just see God has been faithful. He sent us into exile because of our sins. We repent of our sins. We confess our sins, and now he has brought us back, so we are going to live for him. So you see the reformation of the people in there and again what you see in all of ezra is this overarching theme of the faithfulness of god the prophets before spoke of it and now you're seeing the fulfillment of it what you see is god is true to his word that what god says he means If God promises that he will do it, you can guarantee that it is going to happen. But the problem is that we are doubtful people, that we question God, especially when we wait. When we see that, okay, God, you promised this, you told me this is going to happen, but I don't see it happening yet. I have not seen your promise come true yet. So god i'm waiting and i'm holding on to your promise But just like heather and I did as we were waiting for that final adoption day Just like the jews possibly did during ezra's time just like you probably do when you have to wait doubts creep in questions Well, maybe I maybe I misunderstood it Maybe god meant it for everybody else, but he didn't mean it for me Maybe god isn't actually who he says he is Like whatever doubts creep in, we're human, we question, and so that starts to come into our mind. But what we see is that God came through. The Jews possibly were wondering. And then in Ezra, they see God is a God of his word. He is faithful. But what they saw wasn't even the full completion of it. They saw a glimpse of God's promise. What we get to see is the completion of God's promise. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 40 tells us this, where it says, Since God provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What he's talking about there is the hall of faith or the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 where you have all these guys that are living out in faith and like Abraham was called to go to a land that he didn't know about, so he went. Noah was called to build an ark for a flood that had never happened, but he built it. Abraham was called to offer up Isaac and so he had knife in hand and he was obedient. They all responded to God in faith, but yet they didn't receive the complete promises. Instead, God is telling us here through the writer of Hebrews that God had something even better for us. That apart from us, they would not be made perfect. This remnant returned to Jerusalem. They had gone 70 years waiting on the promise. You know what they did in that time? They held fast to God's word. They trusted him at what he said. And so they lived their lives according to that. I think of Daniel, especially, where he's told, do not pray to anybody else except for King Darius. And what does he do? Well, I'm gonna go up into my room. I'm gonna open my windows towards Jerusalem. And three times I'm gonna get down on my knees, windows open, knowing they're coming after me, but I'm gonna hold firm to God's word. I'm gonna trust him in this time shadrach meshach and abednego bow down to the statue of gold and what do they do well i'm going to compromise and i just will bow down to god in my heart and i'll just go through the motions don't want to go through the motions but instead what do they do throw us in the fiery pit we're going to hold firm to god's word and what he says is true because we trust him Even though we're waiting for this promise, we're going to live according to what he says is true. They held fast to the word. And they they trusted. And so in Ezra, they come back and they rebuild the temple. And it hits them. Ezra chapter 3, verse 12. It says, many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, they wept with a loud voice. When they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted for joy. Again, they are seeing covenant relationship with God being restored. They are seeing the ability to come back and worship God the way that God said they are to worship Him. Because for the past 70 years, they've been unable to. They have not been able to worship God the way that He says. And so now they're able to come back. But again... God had something even greater in store for us. Because according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul tells us, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? You see, the Jews were able to go to the temple and worship in it. Under Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit come into us, and we are able to have a deeper, more relational relationship with God than anybody of old. That the Holy Spirit enters into us. Your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. That is far greater than going to Jerusalem, to the temple. We get to worship Jesus. In John chapter 4, he has the conversation with the woman at the well. And she's like, you guys believe that you need to worship God in the temple. We were told that we should worship him here on this hill. Which one's true? And Jesus responds with, there will come a day when my people will worship me in spirit. When the Holy Spirit will come into you. And so that's even far greater than what they experienced. We get to have God in us through the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus, we see the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to us, the complete fruition of what he says. And this is his plan from the very beginning. Ephesians chapter one tells us this. Verse four, it says, he chose us in him Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He had this plan before he put the whole thing together, before he created the world. He chose us. Then verse 7, it says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, Which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. This was always his plan. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things in earth. That God had this plan and what we see in Jesus is the completion of that plan. And so when we look at Ezra, we see God's faithfulness. When we are questioning everything... When we are in those moments of waiting, we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. We look back to what God said. Ezra should be an encouragement to us. You probably haven't read it for a while. But when you read it, you see, man, God is faithful. He spoke about this 200 years prior, and he is fulfilling it there, and then... Decades, centuries, millennia prior, he spoke about Jesus coming, and we get to see the completion of that. So while we are waiting for the future promises to come true, we hold firm to the past promises that God has already fulfilled. We hold firm to him in what he says. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 tells us God confirms it. That when God says it, he means it. It says, if I can find it, there it is, highlighted. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Notice what he says. He said, it is impossible for God to lie. Titus tells us in Titus chapter 1 verse 2, God never lies. And he has promised you eternal hope. He has promised you that he will work through you. He has promised you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's Hebrews thirteen five. He has promised you that he has good things in store for you. He has promised you That though this world may send bad things at you, we know that all things work for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. So that no matter what is going on around you, you can look to those promises and you can see that God says, It is impossible for me to lie. I can't do it. Like, I might lie to you, I'm not going to try, but it'll happen. Your parents, your kids, definitely, your friends, your spouses, everybody's going to lie at some point in their life. And if they say they won't, (laughs) they just lied. But God will never lie. He cannot lie. He has given an oath. When you give an oath, what you're really trying to do is you're really trying to be like, this is how firm it is. Like, I am telling you, and I don't know how to solidify it anymore, so I'll just take an oath on it. Like, I, I promise, I pinky promise, I, I, you know, we come up with all these different promises. What they used to do is give an oath. I swear by whatever is most important to me, because I'm really trying to let you know I'm not lying about this. And we're told there's nothing greater than God. And so what he does is he swears by himself. It says, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is the final confirmation. And then in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 6, it says, God made a promise to Abraham. But since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Then, verse 17 of Hebrews 6 says, So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, you know who he's talking about there? That's us. We are the heirs of the promise. So, when he tried to desire to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. You see, the context of Hebrews chapter 6 is the writer saying, you guys are going through difficult times. There's persecution. There's the lures of the world. There's trying to get you to become more cultural, to go back to your old way of life. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't do it. Stand firm. That what God has told you is true. And so don't fall for the lies of the world. Don't allow yourself to get turned away and to drift over here. Instead, he is saying God is faithful. So hold firm to the promise of what God is telling you. And so we are allowed, we are able, and we need to look back at the faithfulness of God, the promise of God, and the fact that God never lies, nor can He. And in that, we find future hope and perseverance. That what Hebrews is saying is, God is faithful, and so then He goes on from there. And He says, hold firm. Verse 18, we who have fled for refuge some words in here, might have strong encouragement. He's telling you, man, this is to encourage you. Hold firm. Hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Then in verse 19, he says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. It's not going to change. Like an anchor you throw in the water so that you don't drift away. He's like, anchor yourselves in this. Build your house on the rock. The winds are going to come. The rains are going to fall. The floods are going to rise. You're going through that stuff. But hold firm. Anchor yourself in Christ. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the holy place behind the curtain. You see, Proverbs has this verse that I quote a lot. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, Proverbs 13, 12. I've almost based my life on that as to I'm not going to get excited about anything. Like right now, it's like, ooh, Texas, sorry, got to go there. We're the big 12 champs. And we should be in the playoffs. But I'm not hoping that we are because I know they're just going to end up Given it to somebody else. And so it's like, huh, I don't want to get excited about it and then have to drop. It's kind of like, you know, the higher you go, the further you have to draw. So if I just stay grounded the entire time, I can't fall that far. So you sort of get an Eeyore kind of mentality. Ah, it's a beautiful day. It'll probably rain. Oh man, like whatever it is, you find a way to turn it to the negative. Kurt calls me a catastrophizer. Because that's where my mind goes. What's the worst thing that can happen? And then I won't be surprised when it does. Don't let that happen to your faith. Don't let your faith be like, eh, God, I don't really know. I'm not gonna bank everything on you. I'm gonna keep a couple other irons in the fire over here. I'm gonna have a plan B because I, I want it to be true, but I don't know if I can trust it. That's not the kind of hope that we're talking about when we say our hope is in Christ. It's not a, I really hope I get the coolest thing for Christmas, but it's probably not going to happen. Instead, he says it's a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 tells us that we are to hold fast. He's saying, don't let it go. Don't hold on to what God says and, you know, kind of hold on to what the world says over here because you just want to make sure one of them's going to be right. He says, no. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Stand firm in it. Why? For he who promised is faithful. How are you able to hold firm to this? How is it? Hebrews chapter 11 gives some really cool stuff. And then it makes this shift in like, I think it's 28 or 38. And it's like, you know, women received back the dead. And some were sawn in half. Some were hiding in caves. Some were tortured. Some were animal, like wrapped up in animal skins and they were a toy for tigers. Like some just experienced the sword. It's like, How do you go through all of that if you are not rooted and anchored in who Christ is? If you are not sure about it, that there are gonna come things in your life that are gonna rock your world. Are you anchored in Christ? Are you saying, you know what? Though he slay me, I just got done reading Job. And Job says when the affliction first comes upon him, and his wife is like, curse God and die. And he is like, though God slay me, I will still praise him. I will still trust him. Do you have that mentality? Do you have that anchor in your soul? Are you holding firm to the confession of your hope without wavering? And why is it that we don't waver? It's not because I'm so strong. It's not because I have this great ability. No, it's that last part for he who promised is faithful. Maybe it's been a while for you, but whenever you apply for a job, they ask you for something usually, and it's called a reference. And it's like, hey, can you give me a list of all your past jobs? Can you kind of give me some people that will, uh, or it's called a resume, not a reference. Can you give me some references? And what they're looking for is what kind of person are you? How, how are you going to be at this job? Like, are you given over to anger? Do you steal from the company? Like, have you just switched a job every three months? And so it's like, what's it like? They want to know your character. Do you know God has given us his resume? It's right here. It's his word. When you read the Old Testament, when you read Ezra, you are seeing God saying, look at my track record. And find one area that I have broken a promise. You're not gonna, because God cannot and God will not lie. He's saying, You can trust me in this. He's never lied, He's never failed, He's never turned back, broken a promise, and He never will. You see, the Old Testament heroes, they held onto the faith looking forward. I mean, they, they hadn't even seen Jesus come and they were just like, we've been told about Jesus coming, so we're gonna trust God. We get to look back at God's faithfulness and see how he has proven himself true over and over and over. And so therefore, man, we should have a, a faith so much stronger than theirs because we've seen the faithfulness of God. We've seen the fulfillment of his promise. We've seen that he's never lied. And so therefore we can hold firm knowing the future promises are going to come true as well. No matter what happens to us, God is a God of his word. He is working through us. But you know what he's calling you to do in response to all of this? He's calling you to live your life out of trust. He's calling you to live in obedience to him because really that's how you trust. It's not just saying, oh yeah, I I trust you. Like I, I, I trust this chair that's not there, imagine a chair. I trust this chair to hold me. All right, sit in it. Nope, not gonna do it. Well, you don't really trust the chair. It's like, I I trust God, I trust him with my life, I trust him with my family, I trust him with my future. Good, how are you obeying what God says to live your life? Because if you trust him, you're gonna live according to what he says is true. And it's like, actually, I don't think, no, I'm not gonna do that. Then you don't trust him. You're not living a life in obedience to him, which is showing that you don't truly trust what he says is true and right and just and best for you. And so he's saying, if you trust me, if this is your firm and steadfast anchor, if you are holding firm to your confession of faith, live for him. Trust what he says. What parts of my life? All of them. You don't get a pick and choose. I trust you in this area, but not that, that area. Because again, God has given us, this is how you live your life. This is how you should handle situations, Proverbs over and over. He's saying, this is how you should deal in business. This is how you should deal in your marriage. This is how you should deal in courting. This is how you should deal in finances. It gives you a list. And then throughout scripture, it gives you his plan for how you should live your life. But the thing is, you have to be in his word. You have to know what he says. You have to read it. Like Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we have to know what he says. It's not just what I say from the pulpit. It's not just whatever sermons you hear throughout the week. You have to be in his word. Because we're told his word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. We're told that all scripture is breathed out for by God. And then it says, and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, and building up. Be in his word. Apply it to your lives. Live out of the trust that you claim to have. The faith that you say you have. He's doing a work. I truly believe that God is doing a work. But what he is saying, what, what I believe God is saying is that we are here, and this is me included, and he wants us to keep going, keep growing, keep building. Don't be like, oh, I got it, I'm good enough now. No. Like, apply it, read it, meditate on it, study it. Live your life of trust in him. Because Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ what that means yet again is that you can trust him that he's doing a work in you that he will continue to work in you and he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ even when you don't see it even if you're in the moment of waiting right now god is saying Trust me, I'm, I'm faithful, I will see you through. And so then we'll close with this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says, therefore, brethren, since we have this confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, again, that's where we get our confidence, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Look at all the words that the writer is putting in there of man. You can be certain about this. You can draw near with confidence, with the true heart, in full assurance of faith. With your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And then he says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Do not neglect the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but instead encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 6 tells us there's going to be things that try and pull us away. And we need each other. I need you. You need me. We need everybody here to encourage. Because you're not like me. I'm super blessed that my life revolves around Scripture. My job is to be in Scripture. A lot of your jobs aren't. You go into a secular world. You go and you are to be a light surrounded by darkness. And man, that darkness can just wear at you. And then you gather together on a Sunday morning. You look around, and you see, I'm not in this alone. That's not the way it should be. I am surrounded by brothers and sisters. I am encouraged by brothers and sisters to spur me on to love and good works. This is more than just hearing me talk, singing a couple songs. This is about doing life together and building each other up. It's more than just Sunday as well as so many of you know, it is daily being in life with one another. When it pops in your mind, hey, I've tried getting a little bit better about this, but somebody's name pops in your mind. Hey, just thinking and praying about you today. Don't know what you're going through, but I, I just want you to know you're not in this alone. I'm here for you. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. I mean, how encouraging would that be? God works in crazy ways when you're just like in the dumps and you're like, I, I really don't know if I can go any further. And then you get that message or that call and it's like, hey, I just want you to know I'm proud of you, I'm praying for you, I'm, I'm, I'm there for you, like I know the world's gonna attack you. I'm not talking about me personally even, I'm talking about you who's in the world. And yet your brothers and sisters have your back. That we are called to encourage one another through that. Because he who promised is faithful. So hold firm to his truths. Because his promises will come true. We have an eternity waiting for us. And God is faithful. They can take your life. They can never take that away from you. Because of what Jesus did for you. Father God, we praise you. That your word proves true. Over and over again, God, when we apply it to our lives, we see your faithfulness and your truths coming out. But God, over and over again, we neglect it. We, we get too busy, we sleep in, whatever it is, God, we don't find time to see your faithfulness, to see what you're calling us to be. And so, God, I just pray that you stir in our hearts that desire to to meditate on your word, to, to live not by the physical bread, but the bread that comes from you. And Jesus says he is the bread of life. And so, God, I pray that we have that desire. I pray that we build our foundation on you. And if there be anybody that is not doing that, God, I I pray that they take this opportunity to see that you are the one true thing and that they take that step of faith and that they stop living in disobedience to you and they they say they're gonna trust you with their lives and therefore they live out of that. God, do the work that you're doing and it's in the name of Jesus we pray this, amen. Let's stand and sing praise as we, Offer the invitation, our hymn of invitation is number 488, Just As I Am. And if you don't have that joy this morning that is just makes no sense, come forward and accept Christ.